Hello there and welcome into another edition of The Intersection with conversation highlights from The Meeting House on Faith Radio about a variety of topics including news, information, and lifestyles approached from a Christian worldview perspective. First up, a documentary film features the life and work of Professor John Lennox of the University of Oxford, hosted and narrated by actor Kevin Sorbo, emphasizing the realities of the existence of God and the compatibility of faith and science. I spoke with both gentlemen recently. You'll be hearing from that conversation. Also on Veterans Day, I aired a conversation with Chad Robichaux of the Mighty Oaks Foundation, which reaches out to those who serve in the military as well as veterans, teaching Christ-centered principles that can help them experience true freedom. Some material from him is coming up. And Steve Skipper is a renowned artist who has painted a variety of sports figures as well as leaders of the civil rights movement. He is someone whom the Lord rescued from drugs and gangs in his younger years and now uses his art for the glory of God. He spoke with me prior to the release of a documentary about his life and faith. Part of that chat is ahead. And on this edition of The Intersection, Marcus Hall is a financial expert and he examines some biblically-based aspects of being good stewards of the resources that God has given to us, setting our minds to be devoted to applying God's principles. You'll be hearing part of that conversation. Finally, several days following Election Day, Richard Land of Southern Evangelical Seminary provided some analysis based on early data relative to evangelical participation in the 2020 election. You'll be hearing comments from him coming up. This is the intersection of production of The Meeting House, and I'm Bob Crittenden. Professor John Lennox, Professor Emeritus of Mathematics at the University of Oxford, and actor Kevin Sorbo joined me recently to discuss a film that features the life and work of Professor Lennox, in which the two men travel to a variety of sites to discuss concepts of Christian apologetics. The movie is entitled Against the Tide, Finding God in an Age of Science. Here now are Kevin Sorbo and John Lennox. Well, you know what you know what I like about John. What's so amazing about him is when you watch the uh, the, the the debates he has, um, he actually drives his opponents crazy with his kindness, with his <laughs> intellect, with his humor, uh, with his biblical knowledge, um, and and it reminds me of the 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 line that the college student gives to me when he says, "Why are you so angry about something you don't believe in?" And I've always just absolutely loved that part because it just hits me right, right at the core of what John is doing, just to just to point out logical, truthful answers to people that want to fight the uh, the existence of God, the existence of Jesus. But even the atheists that he that he debates, they, they don't deny that Jesus didn't exist. I mean, it's all there that it's possibly there. But there's one simple thing that I should have thought about at one time when John and I were overlooking this, you know, this this amazing cemetery in Israel. Um, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years old. And he brought up to me the fact that there is no plot there for Jesus because there was not a body to be found. And I find that fascinating and, and interesting because um, this was a very obviously more popular today, but an incredibly popular figure at that time. And to realize that there was a, a resurrection there, um, people scratch their head with that one. And it, it, it was just fascinating to me. And there's one other thing, there was a number of things, but there's another thing that I was stuck in my mind is that I was able to go up and stand at the balcony where Pilate was when he said, which of these two men do you want me to set free and which do you want me to crucify when they all screamed to crucify Jesus? I mean, it was awesome for me. I got goosebumps talking about it now to step out there and do that. 
and be able to stand on the exact same balcony that 2,000 years ago Pilate was standing on. So just, just I mean, I could list on and on and on, but I, I, what I want people to do, not only support this movie, get out there and see this movie, but once it comes out on DVDs, please buy 10 DVDs and send them to your friends because this is an unbelievable way to take the bullet points that John gives, to have ammunition for people to fight and defend their faith, for people that attack them for having a faith. And I think it's just going to be... Uh, an amazing eye-opener for Christians all around the world. Dr. J uh, John Lennox, tell me just a bit about what you see as the most compelling arguments for the existence of God. Well, it depends entirely who I'm talking to. If I'm hmm. talking to a colleague and a scientist, I'm going to talk about the created world. And I'm a mathematician, and one of the very compelling arguments is that mathematics works, it describes the universe, and that resonates completely with the claim at the beginning of John's Gospel, in the beginning was the Word, this is a Word-based universe. But other people aren't so interested in science, but the most compelling, of course, for me, is the evidence that comes through the person and work of Jesus, and in particular, the resurrection. And it was very thrilling to be with Kevin in the, the garden tomb, which isn't exactly the place where Jesus was buried, but it's enough like it to give us a real impression. And Kevin's a very modest chap, you know, Bob, because <laughs> it, he says that he was fed all the questions. He was not. His mind was working 20 to the dozen, and he thought up lots of interesting questions of his own. And that's what made it such a pleasure, because he comes across as a quasi-skeptical inquirer. And so anybody watching the film is going to say, yeah, that's my question. And that's why I would, like Kevin, encourage people to go out and get the DVDs. And I'm actually writing at the moment a book, a companion guide to the film that unpacks in more depth some of the big questions that by the nature of things you can never cover completely in a film. So there's going to be that guide as well available we hope as soon as possible john lennox and kevin sorbo here on the intersection the film's website is against the tide dot movie next up on this edition of the intersection it's chad robichaud he founded the mighty oaks foundation providing help for active duty military and veterans in our conversation, he discussed elements of his own life story, including his acceptance of Christ and struggles with PTSD that he recalls in the book, An Unfair Advantage, Victory in the Midst of Battle. Here now from that conversation is Chad Robichaux. I believe that, uh, you know, life, we, the world we live in is a, is a hard world and nothing in the Bible uh, promises that, that we'll be exempt of hardships. You know, Jeremiah 29, 11 says, you know, for I know the plans and purposes I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope in the future. God does promise that he has a plan for our life. He promises his hope for us, a future for us, and a, and a purpose for us. But all those promises don't exempt us from the hardships of life. We're going to face hardships in this world because it's a it's a, a very hard and broken world. Um, what God's promise does say, though, if we go through it with him, if we lean on him, if we uh, intentionally step into his will and his purpose for our life, we're going to land in the right place. And uh, so I believe the title and unfair advantage is, is when we face life's battles, if we walk with Christ through life's battles, we will find an unfair advantage to finding victory. 
Well, you mentioned that you had encountered PTSD. Tell me just a bit about how you realized that you were suffering from it and really how were you able to appropriate God's resources in order to deal with it? Well, you know, PTSD for me was, uh, you know, manifested in physiological symptoms. Uh, it originally started off with, you know, numbness in my body, my arms, my face, my throat swelling shut, like, you know, feel, the feeling of my throat swelling shut, the inability to breathe, feeling like you're going to have a, like, feeling like you actually have it or having a heart attack and your body's like dying. Uh, and then the, uh, eventually to the panic attacks to where, you know, you the level of panic is just extreme terror. Like you, only way I know how to describe this, like if you're, handcuffed or chained to the bottom of a swimming pool and you're drowning, but you never die. You never drown. You're that way 24 seven, just extreme terror, extreme panic. And, uh, you know, I, I found ways to cope with that originally, uh, really dove into martial arts and, uh, back to professional fighting, which is something I always did on the side. And, and those things kind of helped put a bandaid on it and get by, but it never got well. And in fact, my life continued to, while successful as a professional fighter, my life continued to erode uh, even further uh, into marriage and despair, lack of purpose, hopelessness, uh, and it all culminated to, uh, you know, a suicide event um, uh, or a suicide attempt where my wife intervened and really challenged me, asked me a challenging question to me, uh, asked me how I could do all the things I did in the military and as a professional in life and find success through exercise and work ethic and discipline and all these things she's seen me do. She's like, how could you do all of that when it comes to your family? you'll quit. And, uh, you know, that question really challenged me and it also uh, stung because there's probably no more soul cutting word to me than to be called a quitter. And she was absolutely right. I've been successful at professional things, but when it came to the most important thing, being a husband, being a father, uh, being, you know, I remember being a young 17 year old kid and raised his hand on those yellow footprints at Marine Corps boot camp and made oath to the Marine Corps, to our nation, to myself, that I was going to do something important with my life. I quit on all those things, including my own will to live. And uh, I, I knew in that moment I needed to get better. I didn't know that I couldn't do it alone, and uh, and I couldn't do it with people I'd surrounded myself by because I'd surrounded myself by people who really told me everything I wanted to hear, not what I needed to hear. And um, uh, and I, I found myself in a moment sitting across from a brand new mentor, uh, a man I never met before, named Steve Toth. wasn't an MMA fighter. He wasn't a Marine or anything. Like, never served in the military, uh, but he was willing to speak some hard truths to me. And as I sat in front of him, I had slid across to him a paper that I had written a, a, a five-paragraph order for those military guys listening, an operational order of how I was going to fix my life. And I remember being probably pretty smug, uh, thinking this is a really good plan, and he didn't even read it. He slid it back over to me and <laughs> told me I was going to fail. And I remember – I'll never forget how he tapped on that paper, and he said, if this plan doesn't have anything to do with your relationship with God, I'm not going to waste your time, and I'm not going to let you waste mine. And uh, in that moment, I really knew deep down that I had tried everything. I had been on a medication. I've been through counseling programs, had professional success. I tried pretty much everything to fix my situation, and uh, some some good things, some bad things, but none of those things worked. And uh, we have a saying at Mighty Oaks Foundation, the foundation I run, if what you're doing isn't working, then why not try something different? Um, and it kind of came from that moment. If what you're doing isn't working, why not try something different? Everything I tried didn't work. It was time for me to try something different. So I trusted this man, Steve, and uh, and I recklessly uh, without really knowing what it meant to surrender my life to Christ. And uh, beyond the decision, Steve mentored me for an entire year in biblical manhood, and my life was uh, was radically changed. Chad show here on The Intersection. You can find out more by going to the website mightyoaksprograms.org. 
Next, it's artist Steve Skipper. He shared with me about how God has impacted his life and his painting ability. We had this discussion in advance of the release of a documentary film called Colors of Character, An Artist's Journey to Redemption. With some comments now, this is Steve Skipper. Well, I tell you, I mean, one night, you know, one Friday night, we had robbed some people. And at this point in time, I'm moving up in the gang pretty pretty much. And we were sitting in a park uh, celebrating, you know, what we'd done. And, and the park had a swimming pool uh, uh, next to it. And there was a lifeguard at the swimming pool by the name of Mike Mitchell. And we used to call him Big Mike. And he looked down there. There was about 13 of us down there sitting on a park, one of the park tables and stuff like that, celebrating, with, you know, doing a few drugs and stuff like that. And all of us were packing weapons and everything. And so he yelled down there, he said, Steve Skipper, you need to stop that stuff and give your life to Jesus Christ. Wow. And we, we all looked up at him like, he, you know, he had lost his mind because that was, you know, no man's land to be drawing attention to us. And then at the same time, you got to understand something. Mike was 17 years old. I was about maybe 16. And Mike came out from around the uh, the fence where the, the pool was. And he actually came down there where we were. And that, this was extremely uh, you know, no man's land. And when he started walking towards us, all the rest of the guys were getting ready to draw their weapons. And you got to understand, I had a 45 in my waist. And, and, and uh, he started walking towards us. But one thing that you know nobody could see uh on the outside on the inside i was starting to get tired of this lifestyle you know jesus said coming to me all you that labor and heavy laden and i'll give you rest for your soul and so i've become spiritually tired and that's where god really wants you but i couldn't show that to anybody because i was actually leading at this point and so uh when he walked down there um i started walking towards them and i told them i take care of this myself so they thought i was gonna go up and kill him so I went up to him and he started witnessing to me and he was witnessing to me about Jesus Christ and the anointing of God was on his life so strong that the anointing made the demons on the inside of my life just sit down and at attention. And so I was listening to everything he said and I told him, I said, uh, I'll make you a deal. He said, what? I said, I'll go to church with you one night if you'll stop talking to me about Jesus. Mm. And he said, deal. He said it too quick. I thought he was going to actually kind of debate it. He said it real quick because God had a real plan for my life. And Mike knew that if I put myself in a position where I would be in the presence of the true gospel of Jesus Christ being preached, those demonic experiences in my life didn't have a chance. And so I made a plan that I'd go into the church and I'd been to church before and I knew how church goes. And so, you know, people get to singing and stuff like that. They get excited and all that kind of stuff. And once they get excited, I'll just ease out of the back of the church and I'd meet this guy outside uh, at 715. Uh, I would start doing speed. And so my plan was to go in there 15 minutes, but God's plan was for me to go in there and stay in there 46 years. Tell me about the the first or, or uh, the first paintings that you did. How you decided to to paint what you painted, and what were some of those early works like? Well, you know, it wasn't really my decision because I made up my mind I wanted to be a football player, <laughs> and and uh, I was working very very hard towards that. And I remember uh, one of my uh, high school counselors uh, calling me in and said got some great news for you. And she said, I got two uh, football scholarship offers, but she said, I've got a fine art scholarship for you too. It's at Florida State. 
And I got excited for about two seconds. And that second number three, God spoke to me and said, you're not going to need to take either one of these scholarships because I'm going to teach you everything you need to know about art. And so I looked at her and I told her that, and she looked at me like I was crazy. And she realized that I was going to be the first in my family to ever be able to go to college. And I, I was going to have a very, very tough time explaining to my mom and dad what I just told her. And uh, true enough, God taught me everything I needed to know about art. He spoke to me in, in intricate detail. You got to understand something. We, we always talk about God as we should, about he's a Lord and he's a savior and he's a deliverer and a healer. But a lot of times we don't focus on the fact of the depth of his creativity as a creator. And nobody can teach creativity like God can. And so he started teaching me stuff about color and started teaching me stuff about anatomy. And, and who knows more about anatomy than the man that, the, right. the God that made, that created man. Yeah. Sure. And, and I'm talking about any artist can tell you that the hardest thing to do is a self-portrait. And for God to create man in his image, that's the ultimate self-portrait. It's a masterpiece. And so he started telling me everything I needed to know about art. There was no university, no professor, uh, nobody that could say that could take credit for what God did in my life. He taught me everything I, need, I needed to know, and he's still teaching me now. Steve Skipper here on The Intersection. More information is available through the website colorsofcharactermovie.com. This is The Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House. You can find out more by going to meetinghouseonline.info or by visiting the programming section at faithradio.org. You'll find a link to the Media Center, the place you can go to listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured on the podcast. There's a link to the Media Center and The Intersection Podcast from that homepage. The podcast is also available through iTunes. Two blogs are accessible. One is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community that is updated weekly. There's also The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from the Meeting House program. And you can follow me on Twitter and access the Meeting House Facebook page. And there's a link to video content. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info or you can go to the programming section at faithradio.org. Conversations from the Meeting House program can also be found through the Faith Radio app and a variety of podcast platforms. Search for the Faith Radio podcast when you visit Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Christian financial advisor Marcus Hall talked with me recently and discussed principles related to his book, Spiritual Wealth, A 40-Day Journey to Developing Stewardship Mindset. From that recent conversation, this is Marcus Hall now. God has taken me on a journey the past two or three years of, for the first time in my life, I haven't questioned him on, all right, well, if you want me to start this, I need to know what the end point is. I need to know where you're taking me. And that's not true faith. That's not living the way that I need to. And so I have learned, and it, it's been amazing with this experience. A couple of years ago, it was it was the message, Mark, I really need you to go through the Certified Kingdom Advisor course with, with, with Kingdom Advisors and Ron Blue's material. And I knew at that moment, I didn't know exactly what was coming, but I knew there was a reason. And that led into earlier this year at our church, we started uh, some discipleship groups. And so I actually started teaching what was going to be a 10-week course uh, on really on uh, mastering your money and, and using one of Ron Blue's books and his material going through that. And we only got about halfway through before everything got shut down in March, just like a lot of other folks did. And it was amazing that the first week, I, it was literally just an introduction section that we were looking at. 
and I was just setting up what we're going to be talking about, why this may be different from other material you've been through before. And Bob, during that week, I had several of the folks who were in the class, either through email, talking to them, tell me how convicted they were, not from my teaching. It had nothing to do with me, but it had to do with the fact that we were scripturally getting to the heart of the matter of why were we experiencing some of the things that we were experiencing and, and are there some ways we can make better decisions by doing that? And that opened my eyes that going through the introduction lesson, this was already affecting people in the way that they were thinking about how they handled their finances and how they handled other things as a family. And that just made me realize, man, there is, there is something here. There is a hunger for Christians to understand how it is God wants us to live out our, our life every day. And that's when God put this message on my heart. Uh, and I, I, listen, I, I didn't fight him on it, but, but there was a question of, all right, we're going to write a book this year. Really? <laughs> uh, I know nothing about that. I, I've got some writing skills and I enjoy that, but I, boy, that, that's a big task. I don't even know where to start with that. And he ended up putting people in my life at the right time over the past few months. And actually somebody uh, I know, you know, a mutual friend in Adam Davis, another local author who has helped me through the, the kind of the administrative process of putting, the, there is no way I have a book in hand eight months later uh, from the, the, the thought originating in me earlier this year if he's not with me along this journey. And that was somebody God put in my life at the right time, somebody who cared about doing the right thing and getting his message out as well. And it's been amazing to see just the flow throughout the year. I hate to say how easy, but, but how smoothly the process has gone to get into this point. And now I'm at this point with that book out there and talking to you so that I, I, can, I can have folks understand what this book is and hopefully that them be interested in purchasing it. And it's just amazing to see now, I don't know what the next step is. I've got some things in mind that I think he may be uh, sending me on in some different, uh, some different avenues over the next couple of years now with this ministry, but uh, I don't need to know what the end point is. I'm enjoying the fact that he's got me uh, working for him right now. And I'm just, I've learned if I say yes a little bit more often, boy, there's a lot more peace and contentment and joy in my life. How do you see that biblical principles can be applied with respect to a personal or a family spending plan? What we find a lot of times is, it, it's funny when we're doing the exercise and actually just listing expenses of, what we're pay, of, of what's going out uh, each month, um, only then, it's funny how people will realize at that moment when they see the list of things of, oh my goodness, I, I didn't even know we were spending this much. And it's, but it's not a spending issue most times. It, it, it's a heart issue most times uh, because we're not planning what we're doing by what God wants us to do. What most people do is they, they get paid the, the taxes, the, the loans, the mortgages, whatever has to go out that won't get you in trouble will go out. And then they spend on lifestyle. And at that point, at the end of the month, they look up and there's not much left and there's been nothing saved. There's been nothing given to church, to other charities, the tithe that, we, that we're commanded to give. And we have our path wrong as to how we're doing that. And what I try to help folks realize is if you are starting from a giving perspective and the way that God wants us to, to live our lives, that 10% off the top, that's a non-negotiable as a Christian. The tithe is not something to maybe do or not do. That is something that he asks us to do and that he provides for us and out of, out of thankfulness and out of praise for him, not out of a sense of having to, but out of a sense of give, getting to give back to him and to his kingdom. 
because of what all he's given to us. Marcus Hall here on The Intersection. His website address is stewardshipmindset.com. Finally, on this edition of The Intersection Podcast, it's Richard Land, president of Southern Evangelical Seminary in Charlotte, North Carolina. In our overall conversation, he provided analysis and commentary about the 2020 election. He discussed the prospect of long-term legal challenges to the results and emerging exit poll data, including information on the evangelical vote. From that recent conversation, here is Richard Land. Well, let's take a look at the the demographics, various subgroups in the election. I do want to get your take. I know you're the executive editor of the Christian Post. There's been some interesting information with respect to the evangelical vote this year based on the exit polling data. What are you observing with respect to the role of the evangelical vote this year? Well, I don't think there's been any discernible decrease um, in the overwhelming support among white evangelicals for Mr. Trump. Um, uh, it was 81% in the last election. Uh, I suspect it's going to be at least that, and the turnout may be higher. What I find most interesting is, to me, the best news from this election is that the country has rejected identity politics. Um, for five years, the media has been constantly beating this drumbeat that President Trump is a white supremacist and a racist. And he got more non-white votes than any Republican presidential candidate since 1960. He increased his um, uh, percentage among blacks from 8 to 12 percent. He increased his percentage nationwide among Hispanics from 28 to 32 percent. And um, it, it was higher than that in Florida. And the, and the other piece of good news is Florida is America's demographic future, not Texas, not California, Florida, in terms of the percentage of the population that's that's uh, non uh, non um, non Hispanic white and Hispanic and black and and uh, Asian, uh, it it's, it is where the in terms of percentages is where the country's going, and and Trump won comfortably um, with over three percent of the vote in Florida, which says that that the Republican Party, um, as long as it follows the the, the emphases that it had uh, under President Trump, has a viable future electorally. And what do you think? I, I believe I just skimmed over some exit poll data with respect to what we as a country have been walking through with respect to race relations. What have you seen with respect to the the effect that may have had on the overall election results? Well, it, it had far less than I suspected it might. I mean, you know, when you've got um, President Trump increasing his percentage among uh, Hispanics and among blacks, um, then then it says that, 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 that the rank-and-file voters are rejecting this idea that America is a racist country and that your your main identity is by your superficial ethnic characteristics. I mean, after all, as Christians, we understand that there's only one race, the human race, and we are talking about different ethnicities. And those are those are, are uh, we should never be judged by our 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 um, immutable um, birth um, uh, characteristics. You know, when Dr. King said we shouldn't be judged by the color of our skin, that meant white people too. You know, no one should be judged by the color of their skin. They should be judged by the content of their character. 
And, and I, I think the American people, uh, by and large, have rejected this whole idea of um, identity politics, which is a good thing because it has the potential to tear the country apart. Richard Land here on The Intersection. The seminary's website is ses.edu. Well, we are coming close to the conclusion of this week's edition of the Intersection Podcast, the weekly production of The Meeting House. Learn more through meetinghouseonline.info or by visiting the Faith Radio website. Just go to the programming section and click on the Meeting House link. There at the homepage, you'll find a link to the Media Center, the place you can go to listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured on the Intersection podcast. You can also find the podcast in the Media Center as well as through iTunes. Two blogs are accessible from the Meeting House homepage. One is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community, and the other is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from the Meeting House. And you can follow me on Twitter and access the Meeting House Facebook page. Plus, there's a link to video content, including John Lennox and Kevin Sorbo. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info or go to the programming section at faithradio.org. Also, through faithradio.org, you can learn about downloading the Faith Radio app for your smartphone or tablet. Content from the Meeting House program can also be found through the Faith Radio app and a variety of podcast platforms. Well, thanks for joining me. For this week's edition of the Intersection Podcast, I'm Bob Crittenden.